0: Hi everyone. I'm Jessica Marquart and this is Kaleidoscope where we talk about a growing public health crisis, cortical visual impairment. CVI is the leading cause of pediatric visual impairments in the developed world. CVI is brain-based and interferes with a person's ability to make sense of the visual world. Like many of you, I have a child with CVI. My daughter Grace is 7 and she loves to express herself through dance and to play school with her younger sister. She wants to be a teacher someday. But here's what's different about a kid with CVI. She doesn't have visual access to the world around her. Even though Grace reads print, she has a very hard time interpreting illustrations in children's books. Even though she's great at math, she can't recognize her friends' faces to find them on the playground. This puzzles a lot of people, and it puzzles them to learn that her vision is improving. Yes, I said improving. Thanks to neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to change, Grace is constantly building new connections in her brain. She's learning to see more. I feel fortunate to count today's guest as a new friend, Mia Carella. We don't live near each other and would not have met without a shared journey. Our daughters have CVI. Mia's daughter, Evelyn, is eight. And much like Grace, Evelyn loves to dance and to play school, and to flash her brilliant smile. Even though we've talked for all of an hour, I feel connected to Mia and Evelyn and their story. I hope against all hope that we can get together in person someday. Mia is the writer behind This Mom with The Blog.com, which started as an outlet for her feelings and turned into a desire to support parents going through similar experiences. Her work has been seen on Scary Mommy, Babble, HuffPost Parents, The Mighty, and more. Oh, yeah. And she's the recent recipient of the 2019 Mom 2.0 Summit Best Writing Award. Here's our conversation. How's everyone doing today?
1: Good. We had a, a busy morning.
0: Well, Grace is a dancer, too, just like Evelyn. I want to know more about her program. Is, there, is it a special program that she's involved in or
1: Actually, yeah, I was going to tell you more about that because I know you mentioned that Grace was a dancer. Evelyn's in a program that's specifically for kids with special needs and differences and called A Chance to Dance. So and lucky for us, it was at our most local dance studio in our town. And so it was like meant to be like right down the street from us. And she signed up for that class. I guess it was exactly a year ago because we signed up for last year's summer session and it's just been wonderful. So does does Gracie do a specialty class or is she in a regular dance class?
0: We were really fortunate to have this place called Arts Together in Raleigh and it's inclusive just by nature, but there's nothing, it's not like a separate class for any kids with special needs. They're just welcoming of everybody. So I felt comfortable sending her there and it's been a good experience. They even have a, well, hi, Liz. (laughs) <laughs> i would love a hug but don't <laughs> trip over the cord dear <clears throat> all right i'm talking to my friend mia and then i'll be down okay are you going to swim team no it's too windy to okay that's a good excuse close the door behind you bye bye <laughs> but they even have this dance company that's associated with the school and they have 60 year olds in the modern dance company. So that's that's the extent to the inclusivity of the program. And it's it's more modern based. So Grace tends she's a she tends to express herself, I think, in a more modern movement than that strict ballet with the positions. So has it been difficult for Evelyn to understand how to place her body or has she gotten extra help from the teacher in doing that?
1: She actually, Evelyn is so interesting when it comes to CBI because she actually does very well with. Modeling, so she stares very intently at her dance teachers, and models them exactly. So I mean, you know, as best as she can, but she models them by watching, and she's been doing very well with it. But you can even see in like our dress rehearsal videos of her from the Idol that she's like turned to face the teacher. She that's how she she's able to maintain where she is in the song.
0: You're right. That's interesting. I guess it's a focal point, and then she can kind of drown out the other visual information that might be distracting. Well, it's kind of amazing to, to see our kids grow into their talents and find the things that make them happy. I mean, these are things that I never even imagined would come to be when they were little. <laughs> you have a blog post about feeling helpless as a new mom to a child with so many needs. So can you take us back to when Evelyn was born? Like, What's your story and what helped you move from feeling helpless to feeling more empowered as a mom?
1: When I was pregnant with Evelyn, I found out probably about halfway through Nancy that she had a severe congenital heart defect. So, she was my first child, my first pregnancy, and we were faced with that when I was 21 weeks pregnant. So, the second half of my pregnancy was spent basically preparing for her arrival in a different way than I had expected. You know, so instead of, you know, just preparing for, you know, what nursery colors are we going to have, then we had to also throw in, you know, which hospital will I deliver at? Are they going to be prepared for what we may face? You know, which children's hospital has, you know, a good cardiac Intensive care unit for if she needs, you know. So we ended up doing those kind of things um, for the second half of my pregnancy. And when she was born, she did have some some issues, some respiratory distress, and some things. So she was immediately taken to the NICU, and after that, just a few hours later, she was transferred to a children's hospital to the cardiac intensive care unit. So from day one, literally minute one of being a mother, things were kind of out of my control. So that, you know, was a really overwhelming and, you know, helpless feeling. You know, I remember just feeling like I didn't know how to be a mom yet. You know, it, this is my first baby. I didn't know how to be a mom. And now I had to learn how to do that while also kind of navigating this whole medical journey. You know, my baby felt like she belonged more to the doctors than she belonged to me. Just the most surreal thing. It was difficult. It was very difficult.
0: Evelyn was full term, right? But just really, really small. Exactly. She was born at 38 weeks, so she
1: was definitely considered full term. But she was only four pounds and two ounces at birth, so she was really from the beginning treated like a preemie. And she spent her first seven weeks of life in a little isolate, like incubator, because they really needed her to gain weight before her first open heart injury. So, yeah she was, she was very tiny.
0: And then did I read that both your kids have the same syndrome?
1: Yes, actually. Both my kids have allergial syndrome, which is the reason that they both have genital hearts. Allergeal syndrome is genetic syndrome that is Autosomal dominant. So basically what that means, my husband has this. So we had a 50% chance of our children inheriting this, but with allergial syndrome, it affects everyone differently. So some people can have little to no from allergial syndrome and some people can have more severe medical issues. So my husband was not really affected. So we didn't really understand you know, that what it would look like if anything was wrong. So Evelyn was born with the congenital heart defect and that was basically how LDL syndrome manifested itself for her.
0: But not in your son?
1: He actually, we found out when he was two months old that he also has a congenital heart defect. His is only monitored. It was not severe enough to be detected in utero and I had several fetal echoes done when I was pregnant with him. They did not even detect it after birth. So, you know, again, he was on a much less severe scale, but he is monitored by a cardiologist.
0: So what does this mean for Evelyn's like long-term health? We're
1: just looking at the symptoms, which is her heart defect. So right now she is going to be monitored for the rest of her life for her cardiology issues. And that's something that Unfortunately we just have to take it one step at a time. We can't really predict, you know, the outcome right now. She's doing really well, but we know there is at least one more open heart surgery in her future. So as we go for our our checkups, we, you know, keep every time I go, I have the anxiety of this the day that I'm going to be told it's time, you know, for the next surgery. So it's kind of like a wait and see. So adults are living to very old ages with congenital heart defects now that Medical developments are amazing, and so many things have changed over the years that there's very good outcomes happening now. We don't know, we can't predict what that is
0: anxiety provoking. Yeah. So, but it sounds like since it's a rare genetic syndrome, you have to explain it to doctors.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's kind of weird. Allergies is the reason that Evelyn has her heart defect, but often we forget that she has allergy syndrome because it's not so much the syndrome itself, it's the symptom, which is the heart defect. That's what we focus on and that's what we go to. And she does go to a gastroenterologist that monitors her overall health for the algeal syndrome because it's usually considered more of a liver disease, but her liver thankfully is fine but a lot of times i i kind of forget that she has the illogial. but when i do have to go to a new doctor a new medical professional and tell them Evelyn's medical history and i a lot of times doctors are like can you spell that i'm not sure what that is you know and so it's a very weird feeling
0: do you have to educate and advocate with cortical visual impairment too do you find that you're having to explain what that is
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And that CBI affects Evelyn in every way, every day of her life. And so I feel like I'm doing more explaining regarding that than the allergeal syndrome. And while allergeal syndrome is considered a rare disease, it's not very common. I know CBI is not really rare, but it's really not well known. So it's so much explaining that has to do. And it's it's very frustrating to to have to feel like you, the parent, is the expert and we have to educate the educators and educate, you know, the medical professionals. It's, it's, it's hard, you know, you know, it's, it's a,
0: yeah, it's kind of like you were learning to be a parent, learning to be a special needs advocate and learning to speak the medical terminology and then translate it into what that means for your child day to day and be able to explain that, you know, in a way that gets people's attention. So
1: It's kind of been a progression. Like when Evelyn was born, we had to triage. So at that point, I was in medical mode. You know, I had to learn all the terminology, learn about her cardiology, anatomy, learn about, you know, all those things. And then as it progressed and as she got older and now is school age, now it's totally turned into being more of a special needs advocate when it comes to her education and and those kind of things. So it's definitely been a a long
0: progression over the years. What does CVI mean for Evelyn in her day-to-day life? How does that look for her?
1: Well, Evelyn is at the end of phase two, CBI, when you look at her, you would not realize that she had a visual impairment, which, you know, is, is common for kids with CVI. So it's difficult to, when you meet new people, and to explain what's going on with her. She has a lot of difficulty when it comes to navigating uneven surfaces, walking outside or in unfamiliar places. She always wants to hold hands and she, she's eight years old. So she's very still unsteady on her feet. And that's also combined with she has some motor skill delays, so that's that makes it even more difficult for her. But so you know, she has those depth perception issues, and we've recently actually started having her work with orientation and mobility to learn how to use a cane. So that has started this school year. She started, you know having those services, and we now have the cane at home. So when we go out to new places or to Target or, you know, any, anywhere she's not familiar with, we make sure she brings her cane and is practicing using that to increase her independence.
0: That's great. And it's also a cue to other people that, that she does have a disability.
1: Right. You know, so that's, that's a huge part of it, but there's also now that she's in school, this is a piece that I didn't really notice as much before she started kindergarten. Because she wasn't sitting and doing, you were know, pencil tasks and things like that, that she does need a lot of modifications on her, her schoolwork and the the things that are presented to her, educational materials, because things that are presented to typical second graders, she just finished second grade, are not accessible to her because of the visual clutter and all, all those different issues. So we really have to work hard on modifying materials for
0: her. Mm-hmm. How did you advocate for that in the IEP meeting?
1: This is a work in progress, you know. So when Evelyn started kindergarten, we did not yet have a medical diagnosis of CBI. So we knew that Evelyn had CBI. We suspected it from only really about five months old when she started getting early intervention services. We were very lucky to have gotten an amazing vision therapist who was trained by Dr. Roman and knew about CBI. So she in one of her first sessions with Evelyn recognized that she thought this was what Evelyn had. And of course, at that time, I had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of it before. So Evelyn got nice vision services through early intervention and then the intermediate unit before starting school. So we never had to pursue a medical diagnosis. Everyone was, you know, just accepting this is what she has, we'll, you know, treat it as if she has this. But once we got into public school, they weren't so willing to do that without the medical diagnosis. So that's when we had to pursue that. And we did get her diagnosed officially in kindergarten. So... Since that, since we got our official diagnosis, we've just, it's been kind of trial and error. I've been sharing what I know and I've been bringing people. I've brought experts to actually Evelyn's first vision teacher. I brought with me to some IEP meetings to help her educate the team. And then finally entering second grade, we were able to get a CVI endorsed teacher of the visually impaired on our team. So we are very lucky. This has been the best year yet, you know, with getting proper services. So that was great.
0: Yes. Yes. And each IEP meeting, though it it takes a huge emotional toll, doesn't it? Oh yes. And this, I mean, CBI or not, IEP
1: meetings are brutal. To be <laughs> to be honest, they are so intimidating for me. Anyway, this is my experience. You know, I feel I'm a shy person. I go into this room and there's so many people around the table, and I just feel, you know, kind of intimidated to start, and then. You basically sit there for hours and listen to all your the weaknesses that your child has. And of course, people will say their strengths and things like that, too. But as a mom, like what stands out is, oh, my gosh, you know, listen to all this that they're saying about my child, my wonderful child. You know, like they're saying all these negative things and it's it's hard. And then on top of that, you have to stay calm and try not to cry and keep fighting and keep advocating. And it's it's very hard.
0: And not to give up. But, I dig your stance on standardized tests and and report cards for a child who isn't standard. And so, especially as Evelyn's growing up and maybe more aware of her differences and of her grades, what do you do to remind her of her value?
1: So at this time, we don't put any emphasis on these report cards. We never we never show report cards to Evelyn. We don't honestly, we don't even look at them a lot of the time. We you know, monitor her iEP progress reports and things like that. But we just celebrate any milestone that Evelyn reaches, any success, any accomplishment we celebrate with her. And just, she loves the positive praise when, you know, she's doing something well. She just, she loves that and she loves to learn and she loves school. So it's really good. She's We're very happy with how she's doing. And we also make sure that we always praise her for the non-academic things like being kind and, and generous and inclusive of other people. Those kind of characteristics, too, because honestly, those are more important than what grades you get in science in second grade, you know? Yeah. I love that she loves school. She does. Oh my gosh. I'm so lucky. She she wants to go to school every day. When there's a vacation day, she misses her teachers. When it's like when we have free time at home and you know, I want her to play something independently. What she likes to do is get out a notebook and a pencil and write sentences or make up math problems. (laughs) And this is what she does for fun. (laughs)
0: Oh, my gosh. She and Grace are so much alike. All these things you're saying, I mean, that they love to dance, that they love school. I mean, Grace's favorite play activity is also kind of school related things, particularly math and writing. I love it. She loves school. She even has summer school and it blew me away because we got in the van this week and for the first day of summer school. And she, she was so excited to see her teacher. (laughs) She said, I cannot wait to see her. And it's good because they're going to have to work harder than everybody else for the duration. (laughs) So that they find enjoyment out of it is, is great.
1: Yeah. And that's why, you know, another reason why I'm fighting so hard to make sure she's getting things that she needs because I don't want her to get to a point where she starts feeling frustrated with the work or what, you know, she deals with at school. And I don't want her to lose this love of school that she has. It's, it's amazing. And she also counting down the days until that starts. So
0: (laughs) good for her. What's she doing this summer?
1: Well, she has summer school for the month of July and that's four days a week. But other than that, she has signed up for the dance program for 10 weeks and she has um, rejoined a baseball team, which they do have a summer program for that too. So we're looking forward to that. And her baseball team, actually, it's actually a Miracle League team, which is a baseball league for kids with disabilities. So it's a little bit easier for her to access than it would be on a typical league team. So it's, it's a great community and really everyone is treated like family. And so far, we just we love our, our time there. So she's looking forward to more these this summer.
0: How do you modify baseball for CDI? Well, like I said,
1: we're pretty new to this. We've only attended two games so far, but I have thoughts <laughs> and I'm going to be talking to the coach about it. I don't know if, if this is what Dr. Roman would recommend, but I was thinking that probably putting some red duct tape on the bat, the barrel of the bat and on the ball so she can visually see where the bat and the ball need to connect. I think that would help her. And Another piece that Miracle League incorporates for everyone is there's the buddy system so that Evelyn's buddy could be standing on first base so Evelyn knows that that's where she stops running, you know, things like that. Because obviously, I don't think we can make all the bases bright red, but, you know, little factors like that, having her buddy and, you know, I could talk to the buddy about different things, but I'm really kind of brainstorming about this red duct tape idea because red is Evelyn's preferred color and it seems to to help her a lot to incorporate that when she needs to focus on small
0: targets. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I will look forward to hearing how it goes. That's cool.
1: Yeah. And the, the Miracle League uh, coaches seem very open. So I think they'll be receptive to, to ideas. So I'll let you know.
0: Okay. Well, I want to let people who are listening know that they can find your blog at thismomwithablog.com. And I'm sure they'll, when they go they'll they'll appreciate your humor and the dose of reality you serve. You're a great writer. So it gets me thinking, though, about, you know, the n- real nitty gritty and that's parenting survival tactics. You said in a post, back in that other galaxy, far, far away, back when we knew we should be perfect parents, (laughs) we probably had a list of things we'd never do. What did you swear you wouldn't do that now you just consider a survival tactic?
1: Oh my gosh, the number one thing is screen time. And I know like so many people look down at screen time use for kids. But to be honest, it has been a lifesaver for me, especially having Evelyn, she's eight, and I have a toddler who's three. Sometimes it's a a bit much to to juggle both of them when you're trying to get things done. So I let Weston use the iPad, you know, I let him watch his videos. And of course, we monitor. Yeah, I I never thought that I would be letting my kid, you know, watch his videos like that. But hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do.
0: That's right. And I bet for Evelyn, the iPad is a helpful tool. Does she use that to read?
1: Yeah, we try. She she does read regular books as well, but we try to get ebooks for her because she likes to be able to enlarge and, and isolate, you know, different pieces of text and things like that. So um, we do a combination. It's very helpful.
0: You just mentioned Weston and you had written an open letter apologizing, you know, to all the siblings out there who have a brother or sister with special needs. What inspired you to write that?
1: mom guilt I, I often and still even after writing that letter and obviously he's three he hasn't read the letter someday he'll see it but having a child with special needs especially now one in in school that has homework and everything takes up so much time and so a lot of time I feel like I don't give him as much attention and I know in speaking with other moms of kids with special needs, that's kind of a common feeling that we we worry that we, we're not giving enough attention to our other children. But you know, I mean he seems happy, doesn't seem affected in any way. But my mom guilt. That's kinda where everything's stemming from.
0: Yeah, I really relate to that. I also I have I have two as well. And my my younger daughter, Liz, she moves through the world with ease and I don't have to think much about, you know, making things happen in a special way for her like I do for Grace. So it does kind of skew the amount of time that that you spend with the child and spend thinking about what they need. I have tremendous guilt over that too. Any tips for letting letting go of that guilt and that ideal of being a super mom?
1: I think in general and maybe not just in this case of, you know, worrying about the siblings, but in general I think you just have to give yourself a little bit of a break. And what I always go back to is, are they happy? Are they safe? And are they loved? Yes, they are all those things. And so if, if I'm doing that, then I'm doing an okay job. So I have to kind of remind myself that those are the most important things and those are getting done. You know, we can't do it all, all the time.
0: Right. That's grounding. To have that checklist of the most important things. So, what are some of the things that Evelyn has taught you?
1: She has taught me so much. I don't even know where to begin. Like she, she has changed me. Honestly, you know, she's taught me so much from day one about strength, inner strength, and resilience. Like when I watched her go through her medical issues, fight through everything that she had to at a young age, um, she's always happy. She faces so many challenges every day and she's always with a smile. And I hope you get to meet her someday and you'll see that smile. It just, she's never without it. I mean, at least out in public. <laughs> she has her moment, but you know, she's the happiest kid. And so she's, she's taught me a lot about perspective and just having a positive outlook on life. And she's just a bright spot for everyone that comes in contact with her honestly and okay maybe i'm a little biased cuz i'm her mom but <laughs> but she has a light and it's it's amazing
0: well i've seen a picture of that smile so i can imagine that that's true <laughs>
1: And a funny thing about Evelyn, it's not—it's not funny, but it's in comparison to me. I am a, very much an introvert and a very shy person and quiet. And she is not. She just loves people and it's so outgoing. And like, will greet anyone in the grocery store and you know just say hi to a passerby and want to shake her hand
0: and introduce herself.
1: That's kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone a little bit in that way too. So she's she's a good influence.
0: <laughs> yeah, what a great skill to have too, as she. Grows and becomes more independent. That's awesome.
1: The thing that um, I kind of wanted to get across is basically how passionate I am about advocating for Evelyn and for all kids with special needs. That's a topic that always gets me fired up because, um, you know, I want to make sure that the world sees Evelyn for the person she is, like I do. And, you know, I get frustrated and, and concerned, you know, when people don't see past labels and disabilities when they look at children in the world. And, you know, so a big thing that I like to write about on my blog and, and what I like to do is, is really just advocate and just pushing for, for that, for the world to see past those things, to see the heart you know, the person's heart, who they really are, and, you know, kind of make that a, a rule of thumb, not to judge, you know, from just a person's disability. So that's a common thread you'll see throughout my blog, too.
0: Well put. I love that you're using that, that platform to stand up for all our kids. Oh, thank you. The
1: blog has kind of been very therapeutic for me as well because my first blog post happened to be written about the congenital heart defects after I found out my son also had um, and that was a way for me to get my feelings out and kind of explain what it was like to be in my shoes and it's kind of kept growing and I find that it's very well received too by parents of kids with special needs. I feel like a lot of times this can be a lonely journey and knowing that you're not alone makes all the difference so it's important.
0: Have you connected with other parents of kids with special needs as a result of writing your blog?
1: I get comments all the time and, and sometimes messages from people saying like, wow, you just said exactly what I've been feeling or I've written this myself and things like that. And it's it's just very affirming to me like to know that people are hearing my words and, and that they're, they are helping some people. The other day I had a comment that said, wow, this post was really needed and and felt like a hug from someone who understood. And that just kind of stuck with me. And, you know, it makes me feel it makes me want to keep going, you know. So, yeah, I've definitely connected. And I think, you know, some people have found the reassurance that they needed or just the the validation that they needed, that they're not the only ones feeling the way they are.
0: Yeah, that's got to be so rewarding. And I think that we all just need to keep talking about and being honest about our experiences and the highs and the lows of it, because you know, the more it's put out there into the world, I just think you know, the more empathy we have for one another, we we'll learn from each other. It also has this advocacy message too. So, well done.
1: Thank you. <laughs> and you, like you mentioned earlier about the the humor, I try to keep humor in what I do because. We're just moms like everyone else. And, you know, mom life is is funny sometimes and not so funny other times, but it's it's a mixture, even if, if you're a mom with kids with special needs or not. So you
0: got to laugh. That's right. <laughs> I just appreciate your time. I know that it's so difficult to get on each other's schedules. That's the hardest part. But it's so nice to get to know you a little bit. And I do hope that we could get together and and get the girls together. Wouldn't that be fun?
1: Oh, I would love to. I would love to. Evelyn actually has not met another kid with CBI yet, and she she talks about that a lot. So I would love to get her together with somebody.
0: We have to do that then. We have to do that. Well, thank you so much, Mia.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: A big thanks to Mia for taking time out of her busy schedule to chat with me. It took a lot of back and forth to sift through the crazy and align our schedules, but so worth it. If you want to learn more about CVI, whether you're a parent of a newly diagnosed child, an educator seeing more children with CVI in your caseload, or a medical professional interested in bringing awareness to this condition, I want to refer you to a new resource. Visit pcvis.vision. The Pediatric Cortical Visual Impairment Society just released its new and improved site, and it is full of information and resources. Check it out the website will continue to grow and a blog is in the works. If you're wondering why you hadn't heard from me lately, the website is the reason. A couple of CVI parents, both of whom have been gracious guests right here on Kaleidoscope, and I have been working on this site revamp for about a year. We hope it's helpful and that you'll consider joining the Pediatric Cortical Visual Impairment Society. That's p-c-v-i-s Thanks y'all.